This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the insurance industry. Sharing their personal journeys, their inspirational stories, and answering the questions we all want answered. You're listening to Raj and Katie. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And quickly before we get started, we wanted to apologise for the sound quality of this podcast. We were in a slightly different room and unfortunately had a bit of background noise, but we hope it doesn't impact your experience listening in today. Today we have with us Joanne Theodoulou, a lady who's definitely an inspiration for me personally, particularly because of her advocacy for mental health in the workplace and out of it. She's had an extensive career in financial services law, holding senior positions, most recent of which is the general counsel at Simply Business, and sits on the board of trustees of leading mental health charity, Mind. Thanks for joining us today, Jo. Hi, Raj. <laughs> um, so we just wanted to kick off with a bit of a personal question to get to know a little bit more about you. How do you unwind from a usually very busy day of work? Um, well, my home life is quite busy too, so uh, I've got two teenagers um, and quite a lot on outside work actually, so I sometimes say that I come to work to unwind. Um, yeah, but I guess it, I guess what I do do when I do have time and I do have the opportunity, I play the cello. I've, I've oh, been learning wow. for some years oh, and I'm, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm working hard on my cello when I get the chance and when I do get to really put my feet up, I also knit. Oh, there you go. Right. Did you know there's a, I think there's a yarn club. There is, there is a yarn club, but it's on a Tuesday lunchtime, which is my gym slot. So (laughs) I've I've only, I've only seen them. I've never sat down and joined them. Yeah. And why the cello? Is that something you've always played or? Um, No, I've played the piano all my life. Um, My mother uh, taught piano, so I always had piano and music around me, but I took up the cello when I was 40. Um, and uh, set myself the grand ambition of reaching grade eight by the time I was 50. Um, that is <laughs> it's an instrument I've always loved the sound of. Right. I think it's the most beautiful thing. And I always yeah. thought it's such a shame. I was, you know, why didn't I ever pick that up? And someone said to me, you still can. It's not too late. So actually that's been, that's been a, big, a big thing for me. Amazing. That's mm. very cool, very cool. And I bet knitting is uh, quite therapeutic. It's something actually that a friend and I were talking about recently. It's funny that you say it. And uh, we were both saying, you know, it'd be a great way to switch off to actually go and just do a knitting class for a couple of hours yeah. or something. Well, it's something that it's it's something that also connects me with my past. My mum used to knit a lot, and my aunts and my grandmother. Okay. And actually, I guess I'm the only one in this generation or that, that knits. So mm. I quite I quite like doing that, and it also makes me sit down and not move. For yes. a while, yes. which is um, quite a good thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Great. So on to a bit of business. Um, mm. So can you tell us a little bit about your your background and your journey um, in particular? I know we've spoken previously about um, you know your, your drive to be independent from a young age and how that inspired your career trajectory. Sure. So I um, I studied English literature at university. I had no idea really what I wanted to do. I just loved the subject and. Um, so I was driven by that, really. Um, but I lost both my parents quite young. I was 15 um, by the time I'd lost them both. And luckily, I've got two older brothers who were there for me and, and who sort of looked out for me. But they weren't that much older, so they were quite at the beginning of their careers and, and not earning a huge amount of money. So I think for me, it got I was getting towards the end of my degree and really starting to think, how am I going to actually earn some money and make yeah. my own way mm. in the world? 
Um, and that's when I, you know, I applied to um, to be a solicitor, um, applied for training contracts, and um, and landed one at a, at a top city firm actually, which turned out to be, you know, just the most amazing thing. Mm. Mm. What what did happen during those first fifteen years? Mm. You, you know, you, young girl, mm. you just sort of entered mm. the the legal profession. Um, you know, you you don't. Re- sort of lost that family support at a young age mm. sort of ha- gaining your independence and gaining your confidence and growing your career absolutely so I knew I, I pretty much knew nothing I think I can say safely on day one I, I knew nothing about how financial markets worked I knew nothing about city really the city of London um, I didn't know any lawyers personally and so I arrived at um, my firm was Linklaters which is one of the you know top city firms mm. um, but as I said, I think from, from day one, I was sort of exposed to great people, great training, and, and some fabulous clients and deals. The first thing I ever worked on was the, um, was the sale and lease back of a portfolio of 500 Lloyds Bank premises. Wow. You oh know, and then straight after that, I did a, a stint in banking, and we were working on the financing for the Blue Water shopping mall, which was being built in Kent at the time. So, you know, it really was a sort of, it, it doesn't really matter sort of where you've come from and what you know already. It was very much about, there was a lot of opportunities to grab and a lot of great people to learn from. So that's what I did for quite a few years. One of those opportunities that came up early on was the chance to spend six months in our New York office. Um, and it makes me smile now, but I was out of the 120 of us trainees who started at the same time, I was the only one who was married on day one. And wow. um, yeah, and I remember hearing about this opportunity to go to New York and mm. I was very keen to go, but no one had mentioned it to me. And when I asked about it, they mm. said, well, we didn't think you'd be interested because you're married. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> to which I said, Why? Because oh, you're... well, he can wait. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but in New York is where I, I did a capital, a, a, what we call a seat in, in capital markets. And um, that's where I just loved, I loved the pace of it. Uh, yeah. I loved working with South America, which is, um, I could use my Spanish, which I'd been learning at university. Um, and that's where I qualified into when I came back um, and then developed my, my time in um, capital markets and then later in derivatives and structured products. Yeah. Wow. So that's quite a background, quite an experience. A stint in New York, I mean, very impressive. And how how was that kind of time apart from your your husband? Was it was it fine? Was it hard? Um, it was it was it was funny because when I first went, the plan I remember I went in March and the plan was that he was going to come out and spend a few weeks over Easter with me. So it didn't seem like a big goodbye at all. But then he had um, he had trouble getting a visa. He, he his visa was granted after I'd returned. Oh, so I actually that's awful. <laughs> yeah. So I I I made it back for a, a three day weekend was the only was my one chance because oh, it was just nonstop. But right. what it, what what did happen though was there were actually five of us trainees there from the UK at that time all living in the same block of flats okay and working very very hard and actually the bonds I formed with some of those people you know they are my best friends today you know we we really were there for each other um, in a very intense um, early period of our careers yeah how did you deal with that intensity was that something that you you really thrived on or I think some people go into you know quite intense particularly in the legal investment banking that sort of those sorts of industries and it kept the pressure is is there's quite a lot of pressure, mm. and they 
um, potentially they burn out. How did you avoid that sort of, um, I guess, negative consequence? It's really funny because, you know, that's something I'm hugely conscious of now. But then I didn't even think about it. I have to say I wasn't even you know things that I would worry about now like how much sleep am I getting mm. am I eating healthily am I managing to actually take a break in the day I just kept going and I think that partly is that energy of being really young and, and motivated by what you're doing and also just being driven by the people around you right um what I did do though and I do remember even then noticing um especially women who were older than me and more senior in, than me were still doing that and right. I remember okay. thinking, I don't want to be, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be in the office at midnight on a regular basis, you know, when I'm a bit more senior and yeah. I'm happy to do yeah. it now while I'm still learning. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, I'm not sure I want to be doing this forever. So, yeah. And how did, uh, so you were kind of pushed on by the people around you and you kept going, mm-hmm. you were young. and mm-hmm. But did you see any effects of that over a period of time of doing that? I don't know whether it was physically or mentally, because I... Yeah, it just, I don't know how you did it. Um, um, I don't think I did at the time. I, no, no. I, I really don't think I did. I mean, obviously, it was a very, it was a six-month period. Yeah. It wasn't sort of forever. And yeah. I guess yeah. Yeah. often when you know how long something is going to last, you can True. you can go for it, True. right? So that probably made a, made a difference. difference. Yeah, mm. okay. Okay. So you're married quite young, um, yeah. and, and you've got two teenagers now. So when did when did kids enter the picture, and how did that change your career and your personal life? Um, kids entered the picture probably earlier than I'd planned. So I um, started out as a trainee in my in my mid twenties, and the way it works in a law firm, you know, you're a trainee for a couple of years, then you spend something like six to eight years working your way up, and then when you're around. Now it's often a little bit more, you know, that's when you get that chance for promotion to partner Mm -hmm. um, for a very few people at the sort of the top of the pyramid. And I think for me, when I started out, I had no idea whether that was something I was going to be capable of or whether I was on track, but it was something I was definitely interested in. And so I wasn't in any rush to have children. I Mm -hmm. sort of thought, you know, by my mid, mid, even late 30s, I would be thinking about it then after I had maybe already become partner. But um, things changed for me quite dramatically when I was 28. I had a a very um, intense uh, period of being ill um, and mentally ill. Mm -hmm. So I had a, um, what I later found out to be a, a sort of a deep depression that then turned into a manic episode. Um, I was psychotic for a while and um, ended up being sectioned under the Mental Health Act and um, and spent six weeks in a, in a psychiatric clinic before I was, you know, diagnosed and mm. then found the right treatment and the right mm. medication. So coming out the other side of that really did make me reevaluate what I wanted and, and, and when I wanted it. And um, I guess it was a Two, two or three years after that, that I was, I considered myself to be, you know, absolutely well, back on top of everything, mm. um, and it just seemed, and, and, and healthy, you know, as healthy as I, as I could be, and it just seemed like, well, why wait, mm. you know, yeah. Yeah. I know I want children one day, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've got a great husband, and, and I've got the financial stability to, to do that now, so I, um, I had my, my two 
uh, in the my, my early thirties. Okay, yeah. I, I suppose when something as big as that happens, it kind of really brings it home that we're not all invincible and we're not going to live for however long and things are going to happen mm. uh, and so it, I think it makes a lot of sense that actually something like that actually made you reevaluate what you what you wanted and when you wanted it yeah mm. thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. um, yeah and then in terms of how you how you juggled having two small children and, and your obviously fast track career mm. how did you manage that did you take some time off work with the kids or did you sort of Place um, I entered fairly soon so at that time the the sort of the maternity leave at, at my firm was 27 weeks I took my 27 weeks and I, and I came back um, but I knew I knew quite quickly that I wanted to come back to do client facing work and I didn't want to do anything too differently to what I'd done before except perhaps the the long hours yeah and I remember having a really really supportive manager who encouraged me not to make a very detailed plan of what I was going to do before I came back and tried it. Um, and what I did was really, I put together effectively a little, a little business plan of, of how I thought I could, what I could do in my role, um, the hours and, and the sort of rhythm of, of working that I was prepared to do and that I thought would work for my clients okay. and, for, and for the business. Um, and I tried it, and then we reevaluated a couple of times, and it, and it worked. And so I ended up working on what would now be called a sort of flexible basis. Um, right. I worked every day. I worked five days a week, but um, short days, so right. from sort of about 8.30 to 3 p.m., yeah. which meant that I got to spend afternoons at home um, with my, my son. And... Um, and, that, and that worked quite well, but it was unusual at the time. It really was unusual for... You know, kind of what the way we talk about it in in, in lawyers' terms is fee earning. You know, so if you're if you're if you're mm. client facing, and and charging fees, and in very transactional work, <clears throat> which my area was, it was it was quite unusual to try to do that on a part time basis. Um, but I but with a bit of planning and a and a good supportive manager, I, I made that work for a number of years actually. And was that um, fairly widespread throughout the firm? No, no. There were a few people who were doing four day. They were trying to do four day weeks, um, and you know, I, I think most of them probably were doing a fair amount of work on their fifth day. And even and even me, you know, I would I would walk out of the office by three p.m. every day, but most evenings, in fact, probably nearly every evening, I was I was doing mm. the I was doing the the late shift as well. Mm. But you know, it, that was fine for mm. me. That that wasn't a problem at all. And in fact, there was there was. Um, a more senior woman there who had done had tried to do something similar before and I remember saying to her early on I still feel I feel really guilty like I feel bad walking out of the office halfway through the afternoon yeah and she put me she said to me she said well a you've just taken a big pay cut haven't you and I said yes and she says, don't feel guilty um and the second thing she said was you know if you were working on two or three transactions at a time, there would be periods of time blocked out in your diary for one client or another. She said, you know, your kid is your most important client. Block out mm. time for him mm. in your diary yeah. and work around it. And actually, those two things really helped me. You know, those two pieces of advice really helped me to sort of organise my life, feel good about it and prioritise things in the yeah. right way. Oh, that's, that's great. And, and did mm. you do you feel that your that part-time working, do you feel that that impacted your career progression at all? Because it's, it's just something that we, we've touched on recently with another guest and he was talking about maternity leave and how 
she looks at the time that she's worked at the company and actually she, she believes that if she hadn't have taken that time she'd be in a different um, a different position. I think that's probably true. In fact right. it's definitely true. I think for me what I um, what I noticed was what I what I deliberately did was I didn't put myself forward for those really big transactions. Right. The the ones that used to really excite me and 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 previously mm. I just knew it was too much of a risk that the chances right. of getting drawn in at all hours of the day and night would, would, were really apparent. So I I I took on a lot of smaller matters. But but that does all of those things do uh, they really sort of impact the exposure you have with clients and 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 with you know for me it was with with the partners in my firm and so it would have been very very difficult then um I hope it's different now but I'm not convinced it would have been extremely difficult then to become a partner mm. on a part-time basis um and actually that's kind of why I ended up leaving in the end because I went back full-time some years later, um, I was on secondment to the Lehman administration, yeah. where people worked from nine to six, which for okay. a lot of people is a normal working day. But yeah. to me, that was really part time, you know, coming out of a law firm, working from nine to six and feeling you could <laughs> legitimately go home at six and, and get a full <laughs> get a full salary was amazing. Um, so as that when that secondment was coming to an end, that's when I really started thinking, you know, do I want to go back to the firm? Um, on my part-time basis mm. and I thought no I'm, I'm mm. sort of ready for more but um, am I ready to continue to give up my evenings and weekends and I thought well no I'm not ready to do that either right. um, but I'd seen I'd seen what you know what you could do um, I guess in those kind of core hours in an in-house environment you could have an impact you could you know take on a leadership role um, and really do something um, different with 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 your career and your role um, and so that's what I did. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask about that partner question. If um, I mean, the, the, you know, you were talking about some of the other old, slightly older women when you were a young woman coming in, mm. saying they were still working those long hours. Just out of interest, did, did those old women have a have a family at, at that point, or were they? No, they didn't. And I think that was the other thing. There were very few female partners who had. A family you know many of them had really you know they'd chosen a different path okay, um yeah. they just had there, there were there were a few there were definitely a few trailblazers out there um but first of all you know there were not many female partners full stop and mm. there were very few in capital markets um and actually yeah if i if i remember rightly i don't think i think only one of them actually had children so right in terms of role models, it was yeah. a bit sparse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it still like that, do you think? Um, there are definitely improvements, definitely changes. Um, um, there are definitely, actually, uh, you know, we talk about the women all the time, but there are also more men that, are, yeah. that want to prioritise their, their young families. Um, and so there are there are some changes, but I, I I still I do think that especially in in those sort of very high octane um, city firms. It's still yeah, there's still quite a macho culture around mm, these things. Mm. Um, and and even though there are lots of uh, programs in place and and people are encouraged to do certain things, I, I think that it's it's slow it's slow change. Do you think it's necessary to work like that to get that particular work done, if that makes sense. Like, does it, I mean, mm. uh, capital markets, for example, really high paced, you know, lots of, you know, 
almost unreasonable deadlines and people working ridiculous mm. hours to what I yeah. consider ridiculous yeah. hours yeah, yeah, yeah. is it necessary to work like that to to produce the same amount of work I think I think it's a really interesting question I think the the thing is the law firm model has got you know very high profits per equity partner so so, so it, it, I think you do need all of those hours, all, a lot of that work does need to be done, but does it need to be done by just two people on a team? Or, you know, could it? Could you spread mm. that among mm. four people? Mm. Or are there some things that, you know, I guess now some things can be automated or outsourced or whatever else, but actually it's it's about, you know, the work needs to be done, but does it need to be done in that way? So, Joe, I'd like to ask you a little bit more um, around mental health. I'm really interested to know how your experience and how that, you know, taking however many months out of work, how how did you find transitioning back into the workplace and, and did you have adequate support to do that? Well, it's interesting. So it was 1999 um, and I can tell you no one was talking about mental health then no. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back into the workplace and I didn't talk about it at all. I didn't tell anyone where I'd been or what had been going on for me. Um, I think the only people that knew were a couple of partners who needed to know, mm. uh, one of whom was the head of our department, very, um, very, uh, a, a man who was very sympathetic and empathetic and had a close member of his own family who um, was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder, so he understood quite well. Did you... How did you feel about not being able to talk about it, though? Mm. And I mean, yeah. I remember very well there was a uh, a partner in another department who, I guess, I would I, I, I suspect suffered a nervous breakdown or some sort of burnout issue. I, I, I really don't know what happened to that person, but he disappeared from the business for a period of months and and then came back. And there was a re- again there was, there was a sort of whispers in the corridors, um, where's he been, what's happened, is he going to be able to hack it anymore, all of those questions. And I remember just wincing and thinking, you know, that guy's got an amazing mind. He's, you know, give him a chance, don't don't judge, don't just assume that, um, you know, that, that what's happened once is going to happen again. Um, so, yeah, I think hopefully the world has moved on a bit. So I guess my... A lot of things have changed, but the other thing that has changed for me, I guess, is just being more senior in, in, in an organisation. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, I was a I was a junior lawyer when that happened, and I had a very long way to go in terms of proving myself um, and proving my ability, and I didn't want anything to, to kind of knock me back. And right now, uh, I really don't feel like I've... Not because I'm, you know, hugely successful or anything, but I don't feel like I have anything to prove. Um, mm. I just live my life and... You know what happens happens. Yeah, Karen said the same thing. We she had a, we had yeah. a, we had a guest who came on um, a month or two ago yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, who said very much the same thing that now that she's progressed to a certain point in her career, where she doesn't really need to feel that anymore because she really has achieved what she needs to achieve. Mm. And 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 your experience did that influence your decision to to get involved with with the the charity Mind. I think it, yeah, it did. Um, so I was coming to the end of a, of a of another board role I was doing for a not-for-profit, and I was thinking about um, this is 
going to open up some some sort of space and time, or so I thought, um, which I must fill with something else. So I was thinking, if I am going to, you know, volunteer to do something, where would I put my efforts? You know, what sort of matters to me? And I instinctively thought of 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 mind in particular that that particular charity. Um, and I remember looking at their website and seeing that they were advertising for mm. trustees. They needed they needed a, a new trustee on their board. It looked it, it looked quite a competitive process, but actually I thought, oh, I, I know something about this. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll mm. have a look. And actually the first part of the process, there was a very long application form with a lot of detailed competency-based questions. But the first part was a personal statement. Um, and I remember that that suddenly put me in a bit of a reflective mood. I remember thinking, right. okay, so what is my, what are my personal motivations for this? And what do I want to, to what can I offer? But also what, 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 what am I going to get out of it? Um, and then the other part was that for the people who got through that first part of the process and, and sort of showed that they were competent to do the role, the personal statement was then going to go to the membership of the charity um, for them to vote on which candidate they, they wanted and so that, for me, in a way, was like my sort of coming out moment. That was when I sort of thought, well, if I am going to be serious about taking on a role like this, I want to be a real ambassador for the charity. And to do that, I need to be open about my own story. Um, and I never had been. Um, and so I, you know, that was a little bit of a turning point. I, I remember calling my my brother and saying to him, I'm going to put all this stuff about me and our family in, in there. Do you mind? <laughs> you know, um, and um, but once I'd done that, it became incredibly easy, actually, for me, because as I as I said earlier, I suddenly realized I, d I don't you know, I didn't care what anyone thought. Um, and actually, if anything, the odd time when I had told somebody what had happened for me, they were they were very interested very compassionate and, and really felt that they they got something from it as well uh, that I might have helped them in some way so it was kind of easy after that. What else do you do in terms of supporting mind and the work that they're doing? So I do speak now um, quite a bit about mental health and particular workplace well-being mm. um, not specifically through mind although I think the fact that I am a charity trustee of theirs gives me credibility as a speaker perhaps yeah and I think it's also really good to know that you're not alone in the situation because mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. uh, mental illness can be very isolating and that you, you absolutely know, yeah very much feel as though um, there is no one else like you is experiencing yeah. the pain that you are so knowing that I mean it's not great mm -hmm. that other people are experiencing <laughs> a similar sort of pain but knowing that people do get through it and, and uh, do come out of the other end stronger I think is mm -hmm. and seeing that sort of success um, that people can achieve is yeah very inspiring yeah. I think and I think that brings us to about the end of the the podcast so thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your, your story I think it's it's fantastic that you've, you've been able to do that and um, yeah appreciate your time thanks Joe. thank thanks you so much Joe. pleasure to have you thanks for listening today if you'd like to get in touch you can do so via our twitter account at risky mix We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. And if you know any inspirational women in the industry who you think would be great for the Risky Mix podcast, please get in touch. See you next week.